Mm, just call him again one more okay. time and see. I mean, he's probably pretty busy right now. Maybe. <laughs> Hi, you've reached Sam Bankman Freed. Send me an email at 112358131sam at gmail.com. That's 112358131sam at gmail.com. Or send me a text message if you want a quick reply. Thanks. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Sam, how you doing? Uh, this is Brace Belden from the podcast True Anon. Uh, I was wondering if you had a moment to chat later today. Obviously, I already shot you a text message. Um, you know, I've been in trouble myself several times throughout my life. You know, I have gotten out of it. Uh, I was wondering if you would be interested in having a conversation around things of that nature. Give me a call back. Uh, obviously, you can see the, 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 the number you missed a call from here. Um, but yeah. All right. Have a good day. You're getting pretty good at leaving these voicemails. All right, well, we'll see if he hits me back. Hello. Hi. How you doing? <laughs> that was so short. What is, what is that? Hello, Brace. Hey, baby doll. How you doing? So nice to be here. It is nice to be here in this, you know, we have a young Chomsky right between us. We're cozy here. We that got is true. cozy style on the couch. Almost as if we were in some kind of Bahamian polycule. <laughs> but we're not. We're not, to, to be clear. No, this is Truanon. Hello, everyone. I'm Liz. My name, of course, is, you know me, you love me. Sam Braceman Belden. <laughs> and of course, we are joined by my, uh, you know, well, technically it's different companies, but we do work closely together. Uh, this is, of course, Young Chomsky. And, and like I said, it's true or not. Like Hello. she said, it's true or not. <laughs> Fuck, we haven't done this in a minute. We're, we're out of practice. One of the longest minutes of all is I know. about a week. Yeah, um, we are, we're out of practice, <laughs> but you know what? We're actually, we're, we're ready to rock today. Oh, man. We've been... I don't know, champing at the bit to do this episode. Champing or chomping? That's an age-old debate. Okay. Well, I she's been champing, champing, I've been chomping. There's proponents on both sides. I'm going to be honest with you. I've been doing the, I've been doing the thing that, that most people do when they think of when it's an aggressive mouth action, which is chomping. But mm. you can be doing champing. All right. Well, I'm the champ. Uh-huh. So here I am. And I got to say, not a great week for crypto. Well, that depends on how you look at it, right? <laughs> you well, know? which side of the ledger are you which on? Which side of the ledger are well, you wait, on? Well, wait, no, both sides are bad. Yeah. Well, I think for some people, they've been doing all right. For other people, they've been doing significantly less all right than others. Mm. Um, but yeah, Liz, there's been a big shakeup in the crypto world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, I don't know why I said it like that, but uh, things are looking pretty grim if you have put all of your real money into imaginary money. Yeah. Also, if you work for any publication that has covered this, you might have egg on your face. <laughs> I got to be real with you. There's going to there's gonna be, you know what? A lot of people own a lot of mea culpas all around. Yeah. Not us. Not us. Not us. Zero mea culpas here. Yeah. Due to Liz's latent anti-Semitism and my fear of people who live on islands. 
Wow. Don't take that the wrong way. Um, I uh, <laughs> We have actually never been a pro-Sam Bankman-Fried podcast. No. We are going to get to who that is exactly and what has happened in a second. But I got to say, before we do and get into the details of the story, this, I, I just as an overview, it this whole thing's got it all. Everything. I can't believe it. Ponzi schemes, mm-hmm. curly hair, islands, uh-huh. polycules. Parents. Parents, Democratic donors. Hyphenated names. Uh, Joe Biden, sort of loosely related. Ukraine, loosely. Ukraine, we got you. No, we got Ukraine in the mix there. We have a <laughs> mousy woman who is a yes. uh, troubled relationship with sex. Bad we, gaming. Tumblr. It's got it all. Uh, what, no, there's more than oh, there's that. No, Liz Brunig makes an appearance. Mencius Moldbug makes an appearance. I mean. Um, what Podcasting. else? Podcasting. Podcasting. Uh, CZ, Binance, he's oh, in there. He's in there. Uh, yeah, Hong Enemies. Kong. What? Enemies make yeah. an appearance? Enemies make an appearance in most most of our episodes. <laughs> no, not our enemies. I mean, like the, you know, enemies no, back the, and forth. Con- oh, conceptual kind of a, idea like, of enemies? Yeah, Shakespearean. No, again, that is probably every episode we do. But no, you're <laughs> right. right. No, this is a Shakespearean enemies type arrangement that they have going on yes. here. Um, Michael Lewis. Uh-huh. Larry David. Oh, my God. Tom Brady. Tom Sands? fucking Brady. And by the way, spoiler alert. Sans laser eyes. Yeah, take away the laser eyes. Um, but basically, every single th- concept, person, place, thing that you have ever found annoying in your entire life has all congealed this week on one <laughs> tiny little island <laughs> out there in the Caribbean, or however you pronounce it, that is your own personal choice. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about it. What we're talking about is, hopefully you've heard about it a little bit. But not too much, so you keep listening to the episode. Uh-huh. <laughs> FTX. Foot and toe exchange. The. <laughs> the oh. It's a swap insight. You don't like that? Is the episode about. No, this is about. We're doing about the crypto thing? Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Then my 45 pages of, of photographs, I guess <laughs> you just ignore those in the notes. <laughs> Well, how did, what did it mean to exchange foot? Oh, I see. It's You exchange both feet and toes, not foot for toes. Foot for toes, yeah. <laughs> it's unequal. Okay, FTX, not foot for toes exchange. Uh, FTX is actually a crypto exchange. <laughs> a crypto exchange founded and run by a man named Sam Bankman Freed, a.k.a. SBF. I'm going to call him SBF, which I agree is annoying, but so is saying Sam Bankman-Fried over and over again. That's, I know. I feel like he should... I, every time I've thought of the word or the name SBF, I'm, it's automatically I want to... It's like SPF. Sunscreen. You want to put a number sure. next to it. And I got to tell you this. Sunscreen, totally fake. No, I don't... A lot of new research episode. has come out that say that it actually <laughs> gives you a ton of wrinkles. Oh, my God. Okay, SBF. He's been... I mean, he's been everywhere as the kind of like legit face of crypto, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about. He was on the cover of Fortune... Not that long ago, actually. They basically had this huge headline. It said, is this the next Warren Buffett under this man's face? Uh, the, the answer to that would be no. Most question mark headlines. Yes. I'm going to say it's a no Fetterman's law. Of, or, excuse Fetterman? Betteridge. Betteridge. John Fetterman's law of headlines. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but no, you're, yeah, yeah. I mean, he is supposed to, he was slated to speak, I think, next week at some New York Times conference. Oh, yeah. Alongside friend of the show, Zelensky. Yeah. Uh, Janet Yellen, which is, of course, named for the thing that she does when I am viciously fingering her. And um, 
all these other kinds of people I don't have in front of me right now, but, but you know, those kind of people, Zelensky's Yellens of the world. Yeah. SPF, uh, you know, at one point was estimated to be personally worth around $10 billion. Uh, that is closer to zero now. This is, before we get started really in here, yeah. I have a bone to pick with this. Love it. Let's start. Who's doing no. this estimation? Okay, we're going we're gonna to just, can we put a little chime here? This is bone to pick number one. Bone to pick There's number gonna one. There's going to be a lot of bones to pick. Who is doing these estimations? Because I'm sorry, if your personal fortune can go from $10 billion to $0 yes. on paper that we know, obviously he has yes. money stashed away. But the Well, the, also I think he's very illiquid. Yes, yeah, Hence yeah, the yeah, ability yeah. to go from 10 to Dry zero. Dry as a bone. <laughs> yes. Ellen style. But she is, uh, I mean, he is like, yeah, you know, he's gone from basically having, being one of those persons known as, you know, one of these rising star young billionaires to having, again, by the metrics that fortune and companies would trace this by, to having zero dollars. Yes, zero dollars. Which what makes one wonder if that money is exactly was ever as liquid as, as being. Yeah, it turns out it's basically all fake. Um, again, spoiler alert. So he ran FTX. He also ran a, what's like, you know, basically a quant firm, uh, that features prominently in the story called Alameda Research. That he founded in 2017. Alameda is basically like a market maker and a trading desk in the crypto space. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like the story goes that they got pretty big with the kind of splashy, uh, Bitcoin arbitrage trade. And everyone was like, huh, it's a little funny that the guy running one of the largest exchanges is also running this huge trade firm that are allegedly separate. But because that would be, you know, basically a total conflict of interest. Right. Yeah. Um, and everyone was kind of like, well, it's crypto, you know, you know, everything here is kind of scammy. Um, so I'm sure it's totally fine. Let's not really look into it. Well, so the thing is with Alameda. So he started Alameda first. Yes. He started that after he was he was doing some trading at what was it called? Jane Street. Jane Street. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he was and, only there for a couple of years, by the way. Uh, oh, I know. The man has not had many jobs. No. But, um, well, he's got a lot of work to do, but very few jobs, if that makes any sense. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, his whole thing is, this is kind of his origin story, right? Is that he, he found out that, uh, you know, a Bitcoin in America or in Japan was worth, like, he could, he could buy a Bitcoin in one country mm. and sell it in another country for mm. more money. Yes. Seems like a pretty basic thing that you'd be able to do. And he says, oh my God, this is, this is, I can make so much money doing this. This is yeah. all this money being left on the table. But then he found there was so much red tape that nobody did it, but he found a way to break through that red tape. And yeah. on the back of that built Alameda research. Now that goes the origin story. Yes. So goes the story. I will say that in the aftermath of the blow up of FTX and Alameda, Many people have come out of the woodwork to basically poke holes in that story, mm -hmm. which maybe we can get into. Bone to pick number two. Mm. Where were the holes prior to this? Yeah, people covering those holes. Exactly. Maybe a little bit of whack-a-mole. Because I've the seen these I've seen these facts repeated many times, and I'm wondering, did you do your due diligence, Mr. Journalist? I'm going to say nobody's doing any due diligence, mm -mm. and now everyone, egg on the face, mea culpa. Yeah. Well, we're not actually... Fallen into all the holes. I'm going to be real. We've actually received very few mea culpas. Oh, yes, which we're going to get to, believe me. Um, so FTX, like you said, FTX gets founded about a couple years after Alameda. It was founded in Hong Kong, very quickly relocates to the Bahamas. This is the uh, location where much of our story will be taking place. Mm -hmm. 
Um, FTX as a crypto exchange was, you know, was one of the largest. It offered basically futures products, which are, you know, really crazy derivatives products in the crypto space, right? They offered customers anywhere from 20 to 1, some people say even sometimes 100 to 1 leverage um, on things like uh, pre-IPO futures, where you could basically bet on what the Airbnb stock price would be in the future when it fun- when it ultimately IPOs. So, all right, I'm just a I'm just a I'm a simple gold country gold bug, Liz. Absolutely, I keep Bryce. all my shit in precious metals, as you should. Let me ask. So, what you're saying here is that using FTX, I, mm. a trader, yes, could le- bet my money. I have one Bitcoin. Mm. I could leverage that yes. for 20 times that amount yes, and bet how much a IPO would be of a company that has not IPO'd yet. Yeah, that's just one of many examples of the kind of like bets. I that's could a, call them bets that's because a, that's what that's they are. That's a normal thing. I mean, that's literally a bet. Yeah, I'm a gambler. That's yeah. a bet. That is a, let's say, a, a financial product, a derivative product or a security that is not offered on what you would call the TradFi stock exchange. The Mennonite stock exchange, yeah. Illegal. Okay, that's illegal in the normal world. Yes. Gotcha. In the normal world. So we're in the underworld, baby. We are in the Bahamas right now. So so this guy was letting me, what if I lose that bet? Well, that's a good question. If you lose that bet, what there were safeguards in place, right? Uh That would basically auto-liquidate your position. And this will come up later in our story. Um, So that if you were, you know, you made some crazy bet, uh, that goes south. Yeah. Rather than kind of letting you, you know, accrue those losses or whatever, it would automatically liquidate your holdings so that, you know, that it could be made right. That makes sense. Gotcha. None of this makes sense to me. Okay. FTX also offered people, uh, this is this is great. They offered them 8% interest. Yes. Uh, if you were to say keep your assets, anything from dollars, bitcoins, any kind of crypto product, or just literally like fiat in their, uh, you know, within their exchange on their platform. So there are stories of people who'd be like, oh, I would use it like Venmo or Zelle. I don't know if it's Zelle or Zelle. It's definitely for sure Zelle. But we'll call I thought it, it was, You could pronounce things. I, you you can, but I just want to like ask you, like, if you were naming a product, would you call it Zelly or Zell? I would call it either. Okay, fair enough. Then you know what? Um, answer. But people would use it like that, you know, and they'd be like, "Well, I could get eight percent. That's better than anything I get on checking account." Here's okay, bone to pick here. If you see that, you should ask, "Hey, where are they getting that interest from? How come I can't get that at normal places like a bank? Yes. Well, this is this has been so. I'm a guy who understands very little about money outside of the fact that it is backed by something that you mine from a cave somewhere in the gold country mm. or pan. My thing is, so I'm like, they, 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 this seems too good to be true. I'm I'm putting my money into FTX. I'm keeping it there, and I'm getting eight percent, like. I'm making 8% of that money once yes. a year. Yes. That this seems to be something that occurs a lot with crypto exchanges, particularly ones that go bust, is that they gave you these incredibly extraordinary high amounts that you can earn in interest or something like this. Too good to be true, one might say. Mm. You put your money in there and then eventually the bottom falls out. Yeah. 
because they've used your money to either steal or, well, almost always steal. I guess, yeah, high stolen. reward, zero risk. Yes. Come, you know, buy in. Well, that's something I encounter a lot with FTX is you see all these, like, these, these, these articles about them or, like, even their own sort of statements. And there's – I saw several – Statements from them talking about these products they offered with zero risk. Yes. And that doesn't seem to me to be, you know, again, gold bug. Mm. Doesn't seem to me to be something that is existing in the world. No. And in fact, should be like immediate, like number one sign of a of a scam. If it's the classic phrase, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Yes. And, you know, it's funny. I was just reading before we started recording. Uh, one of the many people that are coming out of the woodwork, I saw this, some VC you know, with like thread emoji all over the place with something uh, about how he had initially invested or his company had initially invested in FTX back in like, I don't know, 20, I don't know, 2019 or something like yeah. early on and said that at one point uh, SBF went to like a crypto conference, like one of those fucking like you know, Las Vegas Convention Center, people set up booth kind of situations mm -hmm. and literally was advertising like zero risk, high interest, like, that, like you investment can put your money opportunity. In yeah, and yeah. the guy was like, that, that's what guys shilling pyramid schemes and Ponzi schemes do. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, funny enough, he hasn't said anything for, <laughs> you know, yeah. in so many years. But anyway... Alameda, for its, you know, you know, for on its side, uh, you know, remember the the quant wing of of SBF's enterprise. It just offered one single product, which was fifteen percent annualized loans, which they claimed again, no downside. We guarantee full payment on the principal and interest. They said that their total annualized performance was one hundred and ten point six percent. So again, no downside. Yeah, like, oh, this is like totally perfect. And look at how much we've achieved. Oh, we get returns of 110.6%. Like, are you out of your fucking mind? That's insane. It makes no sense. Double your money. Too good to be true. Yeah. So all of this is to say that it's it has the classic marks and markers <laughs> of like basically a crypto joke, right? Of a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. In hindsight, 2020... Uh, this seems to be such an obvious grift, right? But this had like massive institutional support. Uh, yeah. Tiger Global, SoftBank, Sequoia Capital, the Ontario Teachers Pension Fund. That, that was their biggest investment, 75 right? Seventy-five million. Mm. So this is from Sequoia Capital. Like, I mean, this is how much people are like blowing smoke up this fucking dude's ass. Nothing is a sure bet in crypto, but just the possibility that FTX could join or even eclipse. The big four of American banking means that it's already valued at $32 billion. So people saw FTX really as like, look, everyone, everyone basically was like, we know crypto is scammy. Of course, crypto is scammy. It's a scammer's paradise. But FTX is the real deal. Like this is going to be the one that really like legitimizes the industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was, I mean... SBF was sort of being feted as like the guy fetid. Fetid? You know what? You can say it any way you want. He was being, well, I mean, you know, sort of a pun on the, the name of this exchange. He was being feted all over like, you know, he's on television, shaking like a leaf, by the way, uh, you know, being brought in front of Congress. It's kind yeah. of like 
a, a the good old boy of of crypto, right? Yes. Like a sort of approachable face and like somebody who's like actually, you know, really believes in the mission. He's not like a some scumbag, like, you know, his parents are well, we'll get to his parents, but um, you know, his parents are like respectable Democratic Party members. Uh, and big donors, and it's like you know he's like a real a real guy that we can kind of like. He was like he was a respectable face of crypto, totally. And he had like a lot of people like wrapped around his finger. I mean, shockingly, um, like, the press was just completely and totally all over him. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, you go back and you, I mean that that one, you know, that very famous interview that he gave on Odd Lots to Tracy Alloway and. Joe Wiesenthal and Matt Levine at Bloomberg, where he literally describes a Ponzi scheme as the basis um, for like almost all crypto yeah. yield farming, right? That uh, even in that like encounter, that exchange with them, they're they're all pretty much like, wow, well, uh, maybe there's a better way to look at this. Like it's pretty shocking the way that everyone just like treated one of the most like obvious and blatant confessions to basically yeah. running a Fonzie scheme as like just totally normal. And here's bone to pick number four. I think it's at this point. Who's, who's counting? Yeah. Listen, my thing is, is this, if you just come from the mindset that every single similar business to Sam Bankman Freed's is a Ponzi scheme of some kind or a criminal enterprise of some kind, you are almost Certain that is a safe bet. I like that. That is a safe bet. There you go. And it's not just like that they were getting like puffed up by the press, right? I mean, they really were FTX, I mean, and SBF. They really were like throwing their weight around in the crypto space. Like, mm -hmm. remember um, back in the spring, we talked about the big explosion, implosion, explosion, implosion. <laughs> Neither of those are good to happen to your company, yeah. so all They're, good. Yeah, we'll call it implosion of Luna and Terra. Yes, right, um, and the kind of chain reaction that that sent throughout the crypto space. You know, you had BlockFi going down, Celsius froze. There was all that kind of chaos. Uh, SBF and specifically FTX. I mean, and Alameda. They all basically jumped in to plug up all these holes. And bailed out a bunch of those companies, um, basically sort of like, uh, you know, giving the impression that they were almost like a lender of last resort in yeah. the space, right? Like, um, Anthony Scaramucci, do you remember that guy? The Mooch? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Met his son. Did you really? I did. What was he like? I met him at a rap video shoot. What? That's all I'm going to say about that. All right. Well, uh, Scaramucci, Mucci, he... <laughs> <laughs> he compared him to J.P. Morgan. He's like, uh, uh, you know, SBF is just like J.P. Morgan, uh, you know, because J.P. Morgan in at the turn of the century during a banking crisis, like jumped in and like saved all these banks from falling and crashing the economy. Um, and so basically, this is a long winded way of saying and not even saying enough, I think, just really trying to drive this point home that people across the board, like institutional investors, the, yeah, like lamestream media even the, 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 the non trade press yeah 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 like, yeah the crypto people like just like normal like everyone saw this guy democratic donors politicians like big wigs everyone like academics like everyone saw this guy as like the legitimizing 
normalizing force yeah. in crypto. If you were somebody who belongs to a group that annoys me and you had a fucking pair of lips and a mouth, anytime in the past three years, you were sucking this guy's dick. Absolutely. 100%. So let's talk a little bit more before we get into the events of how this kind of all went down in the past couple weeks, Mm -hmm. week or two. Um, Who is Sam and where does he come from? Thought you would never ask my little lollipop. I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs) Listen, baby, Sam is from one of the darkest, dankest pits of California. A place so hideous and insane that I almost dare not speak its name until I scroll down further in the notes to where I wrote it down. Now, he is from the South Bay. <laughs> now, I want to be clear about something here. I don't know where that is. I did not expect <laughs> you to be the one that say that. Liz, I told you how I don't know where you're San Jose from is. San Francisco, right? <laughs> yeah. You're from San Francisco. Yes. So... You know, uh, well, I know it's south of the bay. I can for context sure, clues for sure, definitely that. <laughs> yeah. Ca- Do you know where San Jose that. is? I have a hard time geolocating it. We're 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 in the mission, right? We're standing on 16th and Mission. We Got just it. bought a little fence. Uh-huh. We're trying to get back down to San Jose to sell it at a higher price. We're uh-huh. doing some arbitrage. Do you know which direction it is? Yeah, you would go south. But yeah, I want to tell, I want to, all right. So 16th you take, and Mission. You would take Mission all the way down past 30th uh-huh. and keep going. Keep going through Daly City. Through Daly City. You'd probably get on the freeway at some point. Probably that would could be do that faster. At yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you just hightail it on down. Pa- that's where it gets mucky. That's where it gets mucky. So you get you go past SFO. Oh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. You go past. And the then airport. it's kind of windy, right? You're thinking of Santa Cruz. You're definitely no, thinking no, of- no. Because I've never been to Santa Cruz. What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's You've too never far. Been- Dude, we need to move on. This is blowing my mind. You've never been to Santa Cruz? No. You've never been to the Santa Cruz Beach Board Walk in the warm California sun? I don't think so. Unless it was like as a baby. Have you been to San Jose? Yes. You don't know if you have, do you? (laughs) No, I stopped there once when I was moving, like for a sandwich, and then I think... I think I went there once before that. Wow. Well, that's where Sam Bankman Freed's from. No, he's actually not from San Jose at all. He's, wow, we uh, just did that whole confessional no, for nothing. No, but he's from the South Bay. He's from Hillsboro. Oh, yeah. Um, Don't know and, you know, both of his parents. All right, so he's got, you might have noticed, Sam Bankman, which, by the way, we know the name is ironic. I got it. Um, Bankman hyphen Freed. So his father is Joseph Bankman. His mother? Joseph Bankman also. Joseph A. Bankman. Yeah, is he a suit seller? Mother, Barbara Freed. Also, my parents' first names. Really? Yeah. Not last names. Um, but they're both law professors at a little university, which is actually where Liz and I met, so I'm mm. like not sure how she doesn't remember, called Stanford. Um, so he grows up in the South Bay, you know, he grows up under the tutelage of his parents, which is where he says he learned about 
rationalism, which we will get to in a moment, but that comes from his parents. But of course, the motherfucker goes to MIT, uh, Stanford East, as I call it, and after a stint at Jane Capital, moves back to the Bay and works for a single month at the Center for Effective Altruism. I want to put a pin in that. Oh, yes. And we are doing, and I know that people, we actually don't do this that much anymore. We are coming back to this in a moment. Yes. It would just disrupt the flow even more than the San Jose digression. Yeah. So, I agree Joseph, that going to San Jose is a digression. Absolutely. A digression on the way to Fresno. So, <laughs> according to Joseph Bankman's profile, and I'm sure other people have dug more into his parents than I have, they've obviously got all kinds of connections, but... We're not going to spend too much time on them. We're going to spend a little bit of time, though. Joseph Bankman's profile on the Stanford site says he is a leading scholar in the field of tax law. He's the author of two widely used casebooks on the subject, and his writings on tax policy cover such topics as progressivity, consumption tax, and the role of tax in the structure of Silicon Valley startups. He has gained wide attention for his work on how government might control the use of tax shelters and has testified before Congress and other legislative bodies on tax compliance problems posed by the cash economy. I mean, come on. A little on the nose there. It's like more on the nose than your last name being Bankman. Okay, well, now I feel like you're doing dog whistles, but... <laughs> Um, so I'm just going to, let's all be, let's all, I want listeners out there. We're being charitable. Okay. We're not, we're not Sam. We're being charitable here. Um, Joseph Bankman, his nose has been buried deep in a barf bag on the planes on the way to the Bahamas because he has actually been helping out and working at FTX himself in an undisclosed capacity, which if we've seen from FTX's books is probably not very difficult to do. Sorry, I'm drinking from a box of water. Okay, bone to pig number five. Okay. Don't put water in a box. I, I get it that it's more better for the environment. It's absolutely the way to adjust transition or whatever. Uh-huh. Hey, but just transition. <laughs> yeah, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's the best slogan. However, I got to say, it makes me feel weird. I don't love the box. I don't love the box, and I feel like I'm. it's like... A weird, like, milk carton thing? It is. And it's crazy because, like, I grew up, like, obviously you guys know, like, it was nymphs that mostly gave it to me off of large leaves. Sure, of it's course. like dew that they poured down yeah. my, my gullet. And now it's like a box in a hotel yeah. room. It's like, okay, cool, how the money have fallen. Um, but, so, <laughs> you can't have a Sam without a Bankman. And you can't have a Bankman without a Freed. I'm right? always saying that. It, which is where Barbara comes in, Babs. So Barbara Freed is also a law professor at Stanford. Imagine the sex those two had. And according to her biography, her scholarly, in- scholarly interests lie at the intersection. You know my favorite word. It's my favorite <laughs> way to describe something. Her scholarly interests lie at the intersection of law, economics, and philosophy. She has written extensively on the questions of distributive justice in the areas of tax policy, property theory, and political theory. Mm. Boring. But we'll get, she's a little less boring about her in a second. But her sister, Linda Freed, is a doctor who serves as an advisor to the World Economic Forum. Fantastic. But you know what? Barbara is more than just an egghead and a dork and a loser. She is actually following the election of fascist Donald Trump. She decided that America needs to be more democratic with the big D. So she enlisted the help of some of Silicon Valley's <laughs> richest pieces of shit and started a dark money pack called Mind the Gap. Okay. Bone to pick number seven here. British phrase. Yeah, you can't go Brit on that. British phrase. Oh, I don't want to fall in the tube. 
But it's like people are like, oh, it's so clever because everyone knows, mind the gap, it's the tube. But in this sense, it's actually the name of a super pet. It's not that's not clever. You know what? Mind the pay gap. Mm. Mind the pay gap. But, uh, so Mind the Gap is a so-called, quote, stealth big money project that fundraised from people like Dustin Moskowitz. Who it, is, by the way, now, and I believe, if we have any little warriors out there, I believe this should be amended on his Wikipedia page to say, true Anon reply guy. True Anon reply guy. Uh, also, Google's Eric Schmidt, or as I call him, uh, eat, he, eating shit. Uh, and my own personal me- uh, arch nemesis, well, no, he's not my arch nemesis, but he's a one of my nemesis. London Breed's money man, Ron Conway, the pig himself. Uh, they funded various Democratic Party projects. They bragged about winning. So their whole thing with, with Mind the Gap was they were data-driven, which I'm going to be real. Okay, that's another rat, red flag. It's all, oh, we hate the data drivers. I'm, we hate the data drivers. As a non-driver... Get me the fuck away from your data. I would like to drive over you. I would like, call me, yeah, okay, not going to make the reference I was going to make, but it was a reference to European terrorist attacks. I will, believe me. Anyways, so their whole thing is they're data-driven, which I'm going to be real, they're all, what do you think political campaigns what do, you guys do think, dude? Yes. They're all data driven. No, everyone else is just like, well, in my mind, it seems like this is how you do stuff. They won 10 out of 20 of their races. Well, that's that not invested. some great data. Nah, you guys if you like want to do the math on that, on that motherfucker. Not so great. Due to their quote moneyball style political outlook and roster of stats guys. Yeah, okay. All these people who like moneyball They didn't win. I never saw it. All right. No, it's real life. I didn't see the games either. Okay. <laughs> they call me Moneyball too, cause I I fucking I got just pure pennies in there. All right. Well, it's jingling and jangling when I when I strut my stuff. But uh, Dustin Moskowitz. Uh, well, by the way, he confirmed to me that he is a he is a donor to Mind the Gap because he is not actually listed as far as I could find. I didn't look very hard, but he wasn't listed on their open secrets. Mm. Um. Dustin Moskowitz also funded the Future Forward, which is a $150 million super PAC alongside Sam Bankman-Fried and other Silicon Valley types. Future Forward often combined their uh, their their efforts with Mind the Gap. As far as I can know, Sam Bankman-Fried did not donate to his own beautiful mother's super PAC, but instead to this one. And so Future Forward... Seems to also fund a very opaque group called Open Labs. I hate these names so much. Well, Open Labs employs Sam Bankman Freed's brother, yes, Gabe Bankman Freed. <laughs> Gabe Aby. Gabe Aby. <laughs> Hi, Gabe Aby. Actually, I'll be uh, so interrupting myself here. Saw the saw the thing that gave me the idea for Gabe Aby. Uh, yesterday, what was to it? store in Echo Park that's like Gay Baby or something. <laughs> and every time I'd see it, I think Gay Baby. But anyways, so Open Labs employs Sam Bankman Freed's brother, Gabe Bankman Freed. Gabe also works for the Protect Our Future Pack, a quote pandemic prevention pack, which yeah. got a puff piece written about it today. And one but, of those, did you see the Washington Post piece? Maybe it was a Washington Post. Maybe mm. I didn't read it, but I was like, I get, I get it. Uh, that gave the new Gen Z Congress member Maxwell Frost, uh, I think almost the, I think they were the yeah. largest individual dumber, d- dumber donor. Yeah. Um, Amber Frost. 
brother. Amber Frost's brother. Yes, uh, Maxwell Frost. So Open Labs <laughs> also seems to employ Democratic strategist and, quote, another data guy. David, you know him. You love him. David Shore. <laughs> I tell you what, wish that guy's body would wash up on a shore one day. No, but for real, though, uh, his <laughs> they... It's very difficult to find out who actually pays David Shore any money. Yes. Uh, because he's a progressive, and who the <laughs> fuck would give any of those losers any money? But no, um, David Shore appears to work for Blue Rose Strategies, I think it's called. Mm. Basically, he works for- Blue o- Rose? Blue Rose. Is that a David Lynch reference? Uh, it's likely some, uh, I don't know, probably, I assume it's got something to do with, like, progressive Bernie style but a blue, thing. The Blue Rose case, is, yeah. My man knows. Um, he knows. Well, anyways, he uh, he also seems to work for Open Labs, which is, of course, mm. funded almost entirely by these Silicon Valley type people. So um, that's your now, progressive, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of people might know David Shore from a very specific New York Times party piece. I hesitate to call. I hesitate to call it a party piece because that did not sound like a party to me. Uh, that sounded like, Liz, your mistake, parties don't have to be fun or good. Mm. No, David Shore, there is an excruciating read. Uh, it is an excruciating read about a party that David Shore had. And I remember reading it, and, I, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a fucking Maoist. You know, I'm not following these goofballs hither and thither, right? Yes. These guys, eventually, there's a graveyard for everybody, you know? Totally. And it sounded corny. Mm-hmm. They, it's like what they were like describe. It's like it's in a loft and it's got a neon sign that has yeah. in the handwriting that sound. You know, has like a like power of the. People no, they had like a candy shit. dungeon. It just it just yeah. seems like one of those things. My thing is, if you just started getting laid when you're like 28, that fucks your brain up mm. big time. Here's my thing: if you're an adult, don't act like a baby. Don't act like a baby, and also don't be inviting the journalists to the party. Yeah, never. True and on we are, rule. No, we're going to get into do that. Do not invite the journalists to the party. In fact, don't talk to any journalists. Don't talk to journalists. Ever. Ever. Unless you're Sam Bankman fried and you consider me, who is, of course, merely a comedian, uh, a journalist, in which case you should. But so the excruciating fucking New York Times profile on David Shore's party, David Shore, who, of course, is working for basically Sam Bankman-Fried and his close good friend, Dustin Moskovitz, who, of course, funds Sam Bankman-Fried's mother's super PAC. This guy, party piece, and I was reading it, and it was talking about all these people that were there that belonged to something called uh, the effective altruism. Okay. Pause. Not in that way. Okay. Because that, I mean, I, I will say, if you read the article, that does actually kind of work for that. Can you say a little bit about effective altruism? Absolutely. I want listeners here to imagine possibly the most annoying guy they've ever met in their life. Mm. He's in your head, right? Well, let's say, no, let me actually, let me rephrase that a little bit. So you know how sometimes like you see like, like tech CEOs or like, you know, programmers and stuff and they seem to view the world in a way that is just totally incomprehensible to somebody with like a heart that feels and Mm. like a soul that like yearns to be free and love and, and, you know, and blood that bleeds. Exactly. Well, I basically, what I'm talking about here is people that might be neurodite atypical Mm. in, in a certain way. Right. Uh, 
there is a there is a sort of a a a philosophy that many of these people follow that comes from by it's comes from technically comes from Peter Singer but via basically a guy named William McCaskill mm-hmm. who was one of I guess Singer's acolytes and while they gussy all this stuff up in a lot of nonsense um it essentially means that if you are willing Put your money somewhere where the data says it will be used most effectively to save the most, and this is where it gets kind of unquantifiable, although they do try to quantify it, to save the most of something, right? Whether it's like uh, fish in the ocean or like children in Bangladesh, something. If you if you have calculated like the best way to do that, to make the, to do the most good, to make the most impact mm-hmm. on the world, is to make as much money as possible then that is basically uh, the route that you should go. Right. So it, 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 it sort of presents itself as like this, this really rational sort of altruism, right? And in fact, it did come out of, and we're going to do an episode on this, the rationalist movement, right. which is basically sort of the Nazi movement for the 21st century, I would say. It, it, it is, it is there's, some, there's some heavy echoes there. But it is basically, it's like an updated kind of, it's, 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 the new, it's the newest sort of iteration of the California ideology, sort of this like Silicon Valley supremacy of all of these like programmers and tech workers who view the world through this quote really rationalist lens. It's very utilitarian. I mean, yeah, that I was going to say people... it's like a very, I mean, vulgar utilitarianism. Yes, which is already itself, yeah, very vulgar. Uh, listen, I'm you're talking one of the least utilitarian men in the world. <laughs> um, but but it, it like it leads you to holding positions where basically like it make like it's against the like. It's a net negative on society than yeah. to be an individual who simply eats chicken, whereas it's a net positive as a CFO at Goldman Sachs or yeah. Raytheon, so long as you are, you know, basically accruing funds to then put forward towards whatever, whatever your whatever project is. like po- like net positive. Um, like event or charity or program, you've calculated that you've offset all of these other things. I mean, it's just literally bullshit. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's total it's bullshit. Like everything else. Math. It's fucking bullshit. And everything else. Just like everything else in this story, it's made up monopoly math. It's not only made up monopoly math, it's also done by people who, when you actually read their words or hear them speak, are fucking sociopaths. Mm. And this is not some like fringe ideology out there. I mean, no. you got everybody from Peter Thiel to fucking Elon Musk to all these people speaking at their conferences. I guess those are just two people who work together at PayPal. But like, no, this but is a now, pretty widespread thing. Not friends. Not, well, yeah. But frenemies. They could, they, could, they could make up for it. They're frenemies. I think Thiel wanted him to buy Twitter. Actually, so I would, yeah, maybe to tank Twitter. So then, well, there's long, yeah. Anyways, this podcast is now on Rumble, but uh, we no, but for for like it's it's effective altruism is just like this, like it's it's really in vogue among a lot of people, or possibly was until this week, among a lot of people with money. Because one of the central tenets of it is if it gives you this sort of um, this like moral backdoor to be selfish, right? right? And so, like. Uh, you know, if you read articles from it, it's like, okay, about about it. All of those kind of defenses of it, it was like, okay, well, I became a hedge fund manager so that I could earn as much money, so that I could give as much as possible, so I could give as much money as I can to the causes that I have determined using data uh, will do the most good. So it's actually the most moral position for me to take 
to become a hedge fund manager, right. to work in an oil company, to uh, run one of the largest Ponzi schemes in human history. Totally. And there's these concepts that that EAers, they call themselves, use. And and this is, to be clear, like the rationalist movement that gave that gave birth to effective altruism is the same movement that gave birth to fascists like fucking Mencius Moldbuck, right? Yeah, I mean, also like... Um you know, entire industries like the banking industry or tech industries or, you know, even you mentioned the oil industries, like these big firms have carved out new positions for these kinds of people so that they have these like entire verticals that are yeah. basically like, look, I think that ESG, ha you know, has been perverted, was perverted from its like intentions along, like for a long fucking time. Yeah. But this is like, put that those kind of like the perverting power of ESG on like overdrive. Right. And so it's carved out positions and companies for like, you know, calculating, um, I don't know, like donation, not just donations and philanthropic stuff, but like actual business decisions, yeah. which has then kind of, um, itself, um, like, like put, the the EA movement like has like sped up the movement right because yeah. now these people have positions that they can find in companies right and it's this sort of like I don't know self fulfilling prophecy if that makes sense yeah well a big thing in these is earn to give yeah and so you want to basically like you're working so that you can give money away and like several people who work at FTX or at least one person worked at FTX had worked at Facebook previously and was like giving away 50% of his income as he was right. going um another big uh and that also is of course an excuse to like get, take these higher and higher profile jobs and more well paying jobs usually in some pretty scummy industries yes. right uh, so that, I mean, cause you know, Facebook, you know, it's, all these places are just stealing your soul and your data, but like, well, you're and just like laundering profits into yeah, other kind exactly. of shell entities. I mean, everyone knows. And, and another thing is long-termism, right? Where yes. they make these very coldly calculated rational decisions where like, and this is where you got almost, and not to use the LaRoucheite term, but like you sort of get this Malthusian or this like eugenicist mindset between behind a lot of these people where like they're actually the only people who are truly looking out for the long-term survivability of the human race right. and of the planet and There's so that's that book that about long-termism that's like fucking huge right now have you seen that that's like a future to win or something like that no I, i'll be honest with you i'm reading beautiful novels no i know but you would just see it i mean it's like a yeah. very it's like a huge brace belden's guide to having sex for more than seven minutes no <laughs> Um, Definitely not long-termism. That's super long, but okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, and so, I mean, all of it boils down to, all these fancy words, all these websites they have, all of it boils down to both, it's okay for me to do whatever I want as long as I have calculated it in whatever twisted fucking evil devil math that I've done to make sure that it's actually okay because I'm helping the world. Yeah. And it's all super individualistic because these people like they 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 like it is it is a fucking cult is what it is. Well, and it just like I mean, you want to talk about things that intersect at <laughs> you love that yeah. term. It reminds me so much of all we talk about this all the time like main character syndrome, right? Yeah. Or the, uh, the the this like, you know, growing kind of insane nihilistic narcissism. And the way that it's sort of like explained away with these obtuse theories. And it's the same exact shit. You know what I'm saying? 
Well, SBF here, and we'll we'll get to this sort of as we we move down the story in a more linear fashion. Um, but SBF is is has sort of in the past week really laid bare what these people actually like. They've sort of been exposed by this, right? Yeah. And he's actually laid bare like that they really do believe it's okay for them to do anything to anyone as long as it fulfills like their weird self justifying self rationalizing ideology. Yeah, I have um, a question. Um, this is give an it to unpopular me. Give question. It to me. But you know what? I don't care because last week we talked about we we said the weed was too crazy. So I'm gonna just fucking go for it. Uh huh. It is. Do you think that does okay? So you grew up playing video games. Kind of. I got 30 minutes of screen time a day. Okay. We did Do you have know where I'm games. going with this? Mm, no. Okay. You, my man. You know where I'm going with this. I think that some of the kind of cold calculating logic is not too dissimilar from the kind of like logic pathways of of a kid playing video games who thinks that there are no consequences yeah you know min-maxing. what's it called they call it min-maxing. it's like when you're trying to your your character attributes in like a fallout type role-playing game and you're trying to like get all the numbers in your favor and like minimize the the negative ones and maximize all the positive mm. ones and you go on the forums and and you're you're comparing notes with everybody and you're trying to figure out like how you can optimize your game and your character. Yeah, I mean, I called these people like sort of tongue in cheek earlier, like neuroatypical people. But like, what it really is, and I do mean, I'm not even really actually saying that as like a shorthand for autistic or anything. Like, I think what like these people are, and like many of these rationalist Silicon Valley type people are is that they do have this sort of outlook where they view things in the way that, like, computers view them, right? But I think that that's, like, these are all people who grew up gaming. Like, yeah. I really don't think, like... I don't think... And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that if you're a man of a certain age who grew up, like, with all of this stuff, and this is how you've kind of learned to make choices... Yeah. And especially in these worlds where... Like the like actual consequences have been completely and totally dumbed down, right? Yeah. Because that's the whole thing. What's it called? Is it called nerfing? Nerfing is when. Well, that's when they make an item worse, I think. Right, but the, it's like it's like um, you know these the the games are all marketed towards kids, right? Yeah. And so they're well, not going to yeah. make them. I mean, but like you know, right? First, let's, let's say we're talking about like forty year olds, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're all marketed towards kids at that time, where like. They're not going to make games like where that are going to make kids like have complete and total meltdowns if they lose, right? Where they're suddenly they've lost something yeah. that is like so consequential, and they're learning actual um, like real life consequences to actions, right? You know what I'm saying? And so, what happens in these games and the consequences from doing stuff is like completely and totally minimized for those reasons, right? Yeah, and so. Kids are learning because you do learn through these games. Like, yeah. you know, especially as they're interactive, it's completely different. Um, that choices don't have consequences and not don't have consequences, but don't have the same consequences that maybe they do in the real world. Right. I, 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 th- I think what I think what you're saying here, though, can be like can be actually fully like ballooned out to really looking at how people use screens on the internet in general. Yeah. In that like, you know, if I if I'm if I'm on fucking Twitter, right, and there's some like lady who's like, look at my baby and the baby, you know, maybe the baby's a little ugly. And I'm like, your baby looks like um 
your baby looks like gay Frodo. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, lady. And it should die. Like that to me, like, I mean, a lot of these kids, this is another thing. I mean, and this has been, you know, this has been said a million times, but like a lot of people grew up like using 4chan or like those forums and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, totally. Where like your whole thing on the internet was kind of saying these horrible awful things to people and then just kind of clicking enter and like you know maybe you get a little dopamine rush when you see that they got pissed off or something but like there's nothing you don't actually see any consequences for your actions right and that's why like when you're growing up it's like the really the thing that people would do is like you know the classic like um hey like Evan can't log in anymore. This is his mother. Evan Evan died to like try to make people feel bad. Like that was how you would try to make people feel bad on the internet. I never did that, obviously, but you'd see that happen. And it's like there's no way to impart the fact that there's real world consequences. And so that's why you see like, you know, like the the swatting and stuff like that. People do these things that have like really like harmful, awful effects on people in the real world, but there's nothing to actually like show you that that's happening. And there's nothing to give you any actual emotional touch from them. It is, it is, it's the computer logic. It's more computer logic. Yeah. And I guess what I would add too is like, I'm not suggesting that video games have taught a bunch of people, like have like changed their brains and like they've yeah. learned different. But when you've got a bunch of people who've grown up and kind of like understanding the logic of games as yeah. having that like internal kind of logic, lo you know, world logic or whatever, right? That when you have kind of an internet and also now a kind of like stock market and this new crypto stuff, right? That has been purely gamified to like all ends of the earth, right? That And that these people are looking in the crypto space and betting around like this as if it was a video game yeah. that I really question whether or not someone like SBF actually understands that they're fucking around with other people's money and then that, that has real life consequences that exist outside of the world of the video game that he's playing. Yeah. Well, I think that's a fantastic segue to him fucking around with other people's money. So before we get into what happened starting just a mere week and a half ago, I want to say that um, one of the big things about SBF is that, like we mentioned, he was a big fixture kind of in D.C. through his parents. Obviously, he had a lot of connections, but also, like we said, because all these people viewed him as this kind of like legitimate, real crypto guy, right? Mm -hmm. Um over the summer, a bunch of crypto people basically accused him of helping shape legislation that would be insanely favorable to FTX. Yeah. Um, and this is like an important thing to keep in mind as we move through this story. So there, you know, there's been all this talk since blue pill Biden got into office of like, we need to regulate crypto and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, basically, people are accusing SPF of kind of being involved in some of those high-level discussions with people like Gary Gensler, with people in Congress, of like how they could shape, uh, you know, certain regulations that would be forthcoming that would basically centralize crypto. Yeah. In a way that a lot of, you know, DeFi people, as they like to be called, wouldn't like. That's decentralized finance. Yes. Um, you know... The thing about FTX is that it's like he wanted everything. He wanted FTX to be like an everything exchange. Yeah, you could. He's like he has this like dumbass quote where he's like, "You could buy a banana on FTX." It's like, why would you do that? Oh my god, I could buy a banana. 
what could it be worth? Point zero 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 three Bitcoin? I mean, but not, well, let me just tell you, that would help me and yelling out. <laughs> no, but he really wanted it to be like the exchange. Like the idea yeah. really was that FTX would be um, like the Amazon of crypto, right? Love the idea. Yeah. Well, so basically, um, all of these people were like, okay, he's trying to basically make a regulatory monopoly. Mm -hmm. And anyone who's been paying attention to the success of Amazon or the chaos at Uber knows what that looks like and why companies go after that. Well, right? and, especially if they're bleeding money. Well, yes, 100%. <laughs> but like that this is also why like a lot of his donations have gotten a lot of of uh attention, right? Yes. Like, you know, you know, backtracking a little bit, he was the second biggest individual donor to the Biden campaign, 5 million dollars. Yes. I think he pledged a billion to help Democrats in yeah, future and then elections. Yeah, he was like He let's what, just say what? Whoopsies, let's walk it back. He did say like I shouldn't have said that, which mm. is really funny and he just <laughs> gave i think 40 million that uh, we know of but then like multiple other people in his company gave you know tens of millions of all dollars to democrats and then of course 25 million dollars to the republicans as well mm. but a lot of this focused on except for his you know long-termism protect the, the, the whatever the fucking pandemic shit a lot of that does is is going towards basically lobbying people for crypto stuff totally um SPF responded to a bunch of this DeFi criticism with a blog post called, quote, possible digital asset industry standards. And this just pissed everyone off. Yeah. Um, the, you know, I, I think people probably know this, but the crypto community is like full of basically a shit ton of libertarians who still have this idea that like they're going to change the world or whatever um, and don't want crypto to become just like the banking industry, but mm. for computers. <laughs> like, which is what someone like Sam Bigman Fried does yeah. want it to be because that's how you make money, right? Um, decentralization is, it's, you know, for all the, you know, look, I'm not going to get into my own personal feelings about it, but I'll say it's very difficult to extract profits at scale in a decentralized economy. And there are really two types of crypto guys, right? There are people who are in it basically solely for the money, like SBF, and I would say probably the majority of crypto users. Yeah. Uh, and then there are the people who are like, and of course, a lot of those are libertarians, but then there are the people who are sort of like the, um, let's say less mainstream libertarian types who like actually are in it like ideologically. Yeah, And totally. like all those people, are, of course, there's, they're all scammers, right? Yeah. But like, they're the people who like believe in it as a project. It's like a liberatory project, yeah. which, God, that must feel really good because it's probably, you know, it feels good to be like a dumb guy. Um, but, like, it's that's depressing. Absolutely. So it's good to remember that um, basically walking into this whole fucking boondoggle that I would say more than half, I would say 75% of the crypto community was really pissed at yeah. SBF. Yeah. Okay. So this is how this all went down. On November 2nd, a leaked balance sheet. Don't want that to happen. Here's a new. Here's a true and on tip. Don't leak your balance sheet. Mm -hmm. Don't let anyone leak your balance. Don't sheet. leak. Uh, do not leak my balance sheet. <laughs> a leaked balance sheet from Alameda Research made its way to CoinDesk. Yes. <laughs> it did come across my desk. <laughs> I saw it. My my. 
That's me with my claws on my desk because it came across. And yeah, yeah, I saw it, Liz. <laughs> so Coindesk put out <laughs> yes, I an exclusive <laughs> saying. Are we exclusive now? Basically saying, let's say there were some irregularities on the balance sheet. <laughs> That's what you want to call it? I call it pansexual. So everyone knows. I want to say that even though this was never said out loud uh-huh. in the mainstream press, for whatever fucking reason, because, well, ding, 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 because all journalists are fucking scumbag, loser, liar, baby bitches. Mm-hmm. We hate you. <laughs> um, everyone knew, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that out the, li- the line between Alameda and FTX was blurred. There that- was no line. I know, but for some reason... In the like respectable media press, and even in the non-respectable media press, yeah, everyone was like, "These are two different companies." Here's my thing: Sequoia Capital. When you sent your little cocksucking fucking mutant out there to do that fucking week-long profile on fucking Sam Bankman-Fried, and you go to his Bahamas mansion, do you not realize that in his ten-person polycule mansion, like half of those motherfuckers are working for Alameda Research? I mean, you're in the same what office are you building. At? What are you looking at here, brother? He had to have been wasted. God. Yeah, yeah, probably drunk off my ties. Yeah, he was probably polying it up too. Mm-hmm. And they've enticed him with those <laughs> Alameda wenches. Okay, so. Don't do it again. But I'm going to say Coindesk <laughs> uh, puts out this balance sheet. Um, the balance sheet basically says that Alameda and FTX were 100% not separate entities. Yes. Many uh, gasps are heard yeah. across the crypto space when this comes out. Yeah, it appears too that like um, because Alameda was founded before FTX, that like yes. literally a lot of like if you were sending money to FTX, sometimes if you actually looked at where it went, it was going to Alameda. Yes. So before we get to that, we got to talk about tokens, and I'm so sorry. I'm gonna try and do this as quick as I can because I find this shit so fucking annoying and stupid. So you're standing in front of Time Crisis Two, and you have four quarters. No. And you're trying to put them in. And it's like no Chuck E. Cheese money only. Okay. FTT, this is so annoying. I hate this so much. I'm sorry. FTT mm-hmm. is a token issued by FTX. Stands for the Fabulous Toes of Twinks. <laughs> yes. It offers customers discounts on trading fees or whatever when they use it on FTX. Yes. So okay. FTX has their own money. Uh, well, it's not money. money. In, it's a token. It's a token. Yeah. FTX has its own token. Called FTT. I want to say I hate crypto for a lot of reasons, but mostly it's because the names are so fucking annoying. Mm-hmm. And FTX and FTT just like annoy me so much. You don't like Solana? Oh my God. <laughs> I hate Solana? that one too. So FTX Solania. issues FTT, yeah. right? But here's the thing. They actually occasionally buy back FTT using their own profits. So... Do you remember back to the good old days of 2020 when people like Bernie Sanders would be like, we're going to stop. Wait, I can't do Bernie Sanders voice. No, no, try it. it though. No, I can't do it. We've got to stop doing it. I don't know what you want me to say, but you know. No, um, you know, everyone was like getting so mad at like Apple. They're like, Apple is just taking its profits and buying its stocks back. We've got to stop stock yeah, buybacks. Yeah, stock buybacks. Yeah. Right, right, right. And basically when they do that, they juice the price of their own stock. Mm-hmm. Right. So like when there's the more Apple profits there are, 
the higher the Apple price goes, not because of the profits, but because like not because people in the market are technically responding and buying more stock, but because the company itself is buying back stock, which is juicing the price. Yeah. Okay. FTX does that, but with FTT. Okay, but none of, I just want to be, this is so annoying, but it's important to understand. For sure. FTT is not a stock. It's a, it's a token. It's a token. That a token, token is, is not a stock. But that token, it, that the, the price of that token in fiat money terms mm. goes up and down, right? Yes. Like a stock would. Yes, but it's fake, a token is fake money. Yes. It is monopoly money. On this we agree. Yes. So FTX creates FTT. And it's technically, again, technically, unaffiliated trading desk Alameda buys those FTTs at a super low price, okay? Mm -hmm. FTX, the exchange, then uses its own profits to buy back, Mm -hmm. pumping the price of FTT. Then Alameda, again technically completely unaffiliated, post back FTT to FTX as collateral, taking real customer deposits from FTX in exchange as assets. I can't, I'll be real with you. I did sort of tune out halfway through that. But no, so what they're doing is they're, they're moving their own funky monkey money, funky money around. Yes. That is not worth anything, but it's basically they're treating it as it's worth money. Yes. And so they're basically, what you're saying here is they're printing their own money. Yes. So, and I want to just like remind. That, can you do that? That FTX is in the derivatives game, right? And so they're offering leverage 20 to 1, sometimes 101 to 1, allegedly. And customers can post FTT, the token, to buy Bitcoin leveraged up or whatever other crypto product they want. So wait, this is like, okay, I'm trying to make this analogy make sense. I'm a casino, right? Morongo. And people are coming into the casino and I'm letting them basically like use the house money to, to gamble, but I don't actually have any money behind the little jail. No, you don't have the money on. I don't actually, there's not like a lot of money back there. No. Because I myself am also an inveterate gambler. You might just have more tokens chips. back there. You yeah, got chips but I don't have. I, I just have more chips. Yeah, because I'm exchanging been, chips for chips. Because all the money that people are giving me, I'm giving to the business that's directly next door to me that I also work at and own. That all yes. my friends also work at and own. That is itself not a casino, but a some a, just one guy that goes and gambles. Yes. I'm going to actually, Matt Levine has a good quote here, although I do have something negative to say about him if we get to it. But That's a very, that was very diplomatic. <laughs> um, this is a, maybe a better analogy. He says, if you think of a token as more or less a stock, okay? Okay. And you think of the crypto exchange as a securities broker dealer, mm-hmm. right? This is completely insane. If you go to an investment bank and say, lend me $1 billion and I will post $2 billion of your own stock as collateral, you are messing with very dark magic and they will say no. Yeah. Because that would be insane. No one would agree to that. Yeah. And yet, here we are. Oh, because we this are. is what happened, right? And so the question is, what did go wrong? Well, basically, everything went wrong. Yeah, I love that. Now... Remember how a lot of crypto people were pissed at SVF, right, for potentially working with the government to centralize yeah. DeFi? Someone leaked Alameda's shady-ass balance sheet, right? That gets to Coindesk. Don't do it. And all hell breaks loose. Yes, it did. This is a quote from the Coindesk piece. Um, 
quote, it's fascinating to see that the majority of the net equity in the Alameda business is actually FTX's own centrally controlled and printed out of thin air token. Mm-hmm. So when the coin desk, don't do it, piece dropped, it caused a bit of a stir. Some people began withdrawing assets from FTX. Some people weren't paying attention. Um, but withdrawing assets from FTX, remember, that entails the selling of FTT, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're holding, when you put assets into FTX, you get a token, you use that token on the exchange, et cetera, et cetera, right? Alameda CEO Caroline Ellison, which, oh boy, there will be more on her in a bit. Yes. She tried to stop some of all of this by saying that the balance sheet was fake news, <laughs> which, you know, you, you gave it the, the good old try. You tried. You, you got to say it's fake news. You got, you know, here's a true and on tip. Just, you know what? When it comes out, and Just it will come out, and you know, it's, you know what I'm talking If you're listening, you know what I'm talking about. Everyone has it. Everyone has one. And when that comes out, your first line of defense always be like, that's fake. Second line, you were hacked. Second, yeah. Which, by the way, I they, they do that. They do <laughs> also stories. do that. Third <laughs> line, just be like, it was all fucking farce. I don't believe in anything. Actually. Fourth line, notes app apology. Fifth line, and this is actually where fucking SBF and FTX fucked up. Pick up my call. Yeah. Pick up my call. Okay. So at this point in the story, one of SBF's enemies, and you know what? I'm going to say Truanon's as well. Mm-hmm. CZ. Sleazy CZ. Sleazy CZ, a.k.a. the CEO of Binance, mm-hmm. one of my most hated crypto names. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, I'm CEO of Panance. <laughs> you guys are real so pissed that I figured out what pansexual is. <laughs> okay, CZ enters this story now. Now, I'm going to say this. No one knows where Binance is headquartered. <laughs> no, it's literally no one knows where it's headquartered. He's like an international fugitive. Yeah, this shit is crazy. I mean, also, Binance is basically the main competitor of FTX. It is a huge, huge, huge fucking exchange. Huge. Huge. And again, headquartered nowhere. Or somewhere. Or everywhere. (laughs) Okay, so this, you know, right about um, when all the, the balance sheet broke, CZ tweeted... Due to recent revelations that have come to light, we have decided to liquidate any remaining FTT on our books. Boom. Power move. You got to give it to him. So that was about, uh, in toto, $530 million. <laughs> so when he tweeted that, basically the floods came. The, the price of FTT fell below $22. Mm-hmm. People started withdrawing more and more and more. And basically what you would call a bank run yeah, ensued. Pretty much classical, classico. Absolutely classico style bank, bank run. run. Yeah. Um, digital money bags in you know people's hands, scrambling, jumping over. Trying to hop, hop over the, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Hoovervilles yeah. left and right. Um, SPF later said that withdrawals hit $6 billion in 72 hours, which... You don't want that. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> On November 8th, withdrawals just stopped <laughs> from yeah. FTX. You can no longer withdraw. And at this point, SPF just shut the fuck up and no one knew where he was. No one had heard anything from him. And it seemed that the music had stopped. So my thing is this. Before, before we kind of get to the to this next part, um, 
that bank run and then like the eventual withdrawal stopping and like the liquidity, a, a wet market turning dry, mm. that is going to happen eventually to all of these unless yes. they somehow get some state back, whatever. But I still think like Binance is, by the way, the same as FTX. Yeah. So just to let you guys know that. Um, at this point in the story, Binance announces in a non-binding letter, which Drew Nante... Always put your, make your letter non-binding. Always make the letter non-binding. Got to make the letter non-binding. No, we can't bind the letter. Um, they Binance says they're going to buy FTX. Such a which is like move. Everyone's like, whoa, crazy. Yeah. Um, SBF takes to Twitter and starts an announcement with the classic, hey, all. Hey, all. Which, what were we calling it? Um, red flag or what was it? Bone to pick. No, oh, bone to pick. Number whatever. Don't start things with hey all colon. You know what it is? Yeah, not hey all colon. Hey y'all comrades. Yeah. That's how we start. Semicolon. Hey Keep y'all. Keep them on their toes and prove that you don't care about Oh, he did a, he did a straight rules. colon like a butt? Yeah, he said hey all colon. I have a few announcements to make. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Don't make announcements. Don't make announcements. No, you're milking the colon. So CZ said that FTX had a, quote, significant liquidity crunch. Here's the thing. <laughs> no, it didn't. Okay? Uh-huh. They were completely insolvent, which is yes, very different. It's different, yeah. Than a liquidity crunch. Well, like, I, I want to just, like, explain this real quick. Let's say you have a balance sheet, and it's all basically fake money yeah okay yeah everyone in the world realizes at the same time it's all fake yeah in fact let's just say it's all magic beans Mm -hmm. in the classic classico way okay your magic bean is now approaching the very bad price of zero dollars very quickly um we're gonna add to that that you gave away all of your customer deposits to your trading desk to do a bunch of derivatives, woo-woo magic stuff, and in return, they gave you more magic beans. And now suddenly, all your customers, whose money you took, are asking for their money back, and all you've got are a bunch of beans, and you can't turn them into real cash because turns out nobody wants to buy fucking beans, and now you're basically worth zero, and you've got a million billion customers demanding cash, and all you've got are these fucking beans. That means you're insolvent. She just rapped. That means you have, you don't have any money. You don't have any. You money. have fucking beans. You know what? You're, you're a, a bean bro- boy. You're a broke ass. You're a bean peanuts. boy. Peanuts. It's not peanuts. It's beans. Well, here's the thing, though, Liz. Actually, with the whole point of the magic bean story is that if you actually plant them, you can go to beanstalk. Regardless, Binance pulls out of the deal. They said, as a result of corporate due diligence, as well as the latest news reports regarding mishandled customer funds and alleged U.S. agency investigations, we've decided we will not pursue the potential acquisition. Um, Yeah, FTX, Alameda, they've now filed for bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. Uh, SBF, for a while, no one knew where he was. Nashad, Gary, Caroline Ellison, basically his little war room. Seems they're all in the Bahamas still. Yes, they all live together in like a, I think, what is it, $40 million, $60 million? I think $40 million, 40 million. mansion yeah, in, which, the, in yeah. the Bahamas. And again, like, we're not going to, you know, there's not enough information on this. There's We do have some information. We don't have enough information to really go into it. But it does appear that many of these people, if not all of these people, were dating each other. Yes, this is a sort of a, a you know, a bit of a, a twist on the classic Tuesian polycrisis. Yes, yeah, yeah. In fact, it's a, it's a Kuzian 
poly crisis. Oh my god. Um, yeah, no, there. Uh, this is. Uh, this is. I mean, listen. Polycules are big in the rationalist anti A spaces. I'm saying spaces now. Uh, and it, it should be no surprise that they are they are big here as yeah. well. But all of these people, I mean, there was all these rumors that they were fleeing to, Ar- fleeing to Argentina, that they were fleeing to Dubai. Uh, I am predicting that maybe one or two will fly the coop, but the rest of them are probably, I mean, these people are fucking nerds. I think they're scared. As they should be. They stole a bunch of fucking money. Yes. So this is the thing, and I promise, this is, I, you know, this is the last, I well, I don't know, I think it's the last I'll say on this, but I just want to say this. Like, the main message coming out of the trad press on mm-hmm. this, and by that I mean Bloomberg, Washington Post, New York Times, all those fucking people, right? Is that this is a story about leverage issues and tokens and bad math and that SBF is some kind of like misunderstood, nerdy, romantic. He's out of his league, but he's a do-gooder. Like yeah. he tried and oh, we just like, oh, all the leverage and the crazy math got away from himself. Blah, blah, blah. No. no. Like, that's not what seems happened, right? Like, what it seems is this dude stole a bunch of fucking money to increasingly fund, or, like, to inc- to fund his, like, increasingly deranged and methamphetamine-fueled... F- like Just regular amphetamine. Okay. Interesting. Um, but drug-fueled gambling problem yep. that he had gotten himself in at Alameda and that they had made a series of really, really fucking stupid bets that they were in a huge hole for and that rather than kind of liquidating and getting out of it, they stole a bunch of customer funds. The the most like cynical version of this is that they actually set up FTX to do that, to provide funds to Alameda to make increasingly deranged bets to try to get themselves out of a hole. Again, I'm going to say it in gamer mode, thinking that there's no fucking consequences outside of whatever little game that they're playing. Well, and that, that balance sheet shows us. Like, these people... Do, I mean, this is... Is it unse- like XL Yes. Shit? So, yeah. I mean... So, FTX's or Alameda's, I can't remember which it was. It doesn't fucking matter. Their balance sheet... This is separate from the thing that ended up at Coindesk. Yeah. Um, it got leaked to the FT. This is their balance sheet from the bankruptcy filing. That's Financial Times. That's not it. doesn't have to do with the token. Yes. Yeah. Financial Times. The pink paper. That's all but the anyway, for me. Um, I don't know if you can call it a balance sheet. Like It is an Excel document, like yes. you mentioned, with just random shit typed into it. Um, including close to $9 billion in liabilities while only having about $900 million in liquid assets, almost half of which, by the way, are listed as Robinhood stock. Yeah. So, like, what the fuck? I mean, the best part of it, there's so many good parts of it, and I encourage you all to look it up because it's really, it's shocking. You think, wait, you're like, wait, but I'm, this is like how my fucking funky dumbass would run a company. Yes. Yes, it is. No, these people are more disorganized than me. It's shocking. There is a column marked, quote, hidden, poorly, internally labeled, quote, fiat ampersand account with next to it, negative $8 billion amount attached, followed by withdrawals on Sunday column totaling $5 billion 
And then it's followed beneath this. And I swear to God, you guys, this is so fucking true. It's basically a typed out note that says, there were many things I wish I could do differently than I did, but the largest are represented by these two things, the poorly labeled internal bank related account and the size of customer withdrawals during a run on the bank. Oh yeah. True non tip. That's not the balance sheet. I can tell you, I can tell you precisely what happened there, baby. What happened? Precisely. That is Sam Bankman Fried, who probably leaked that himself mm. almost entirely because he has made some allusions to leaking in his later interview with the Vox reporter. He is trying, he is like, I know this message will be read. And so his whole thing is like, now it, this Sam Bankman Fried has. In two interviews, at least at post post facto interviews at this point, been like there are many decisions I wish I had made differently, or like this all this is a compounding of like several poor decisions that I did not know were related to each other. Like that is Sam Bankman Freed. Like that is the message he is trying to convey there. Like he is like and and it's 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 pathetic. Yeah. It's fully pathetic. Like let me talk about this fucking cat for a second. Let me talk about a couple of these people for a second. Right? You're talking about Alameda Research, right? And there's been a lot of attention on this broad, but fucking CEO, Carolyn Ellison. Mm -hmm. And obviously, like, we, you know, we, we, we do know some things about her. Her tumblers, her pair of tumblers, which, you're an adult woman, baby. Her pair of tumblers were leaked. I, I read one of them. I read both of them in great detail, but I went, read one almost all the way through. You know, obviously, we were talking about, we've got, she's, she's talking about how, mentioned multiple times, you can sort of see her descent from somebody who was like, she met SBF at Jane. Uh, you know, they they were in the EA movement together. Um, you know, they dated at some point or some points. Um, you see her sort of go from somebody who had been, as she calls it, trad in her past. Mm. Which, as we were talking about before we started recording, I think a lot of people literally to trad means to them is that you have a monogamous relationship yeah. like, like or yeah. you're you're one a baby on wednesdays you cook chicken or exactly something. like oh you go to the movies together but of course she becomes sort of this like you can see her sort of justifying this polycule whatever bullshit and like you know talk about harems and, and and kind of getting into this like this whole rationalist mode and like you know, she's like reading Liz Brunig, which is funny. But I don't know what what how she refers to her. In I that. think she it's liked like, her, which was funny. It's just funny to see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. And then like you know, all these other like these like, there's a lot of like like self help love books that she's reading. She's obviously like, very unhappy being in a polycule, but at the same time, like many traders and many people in tech, she's also it appears taking increasing amounts of amphetamine, and amphetamines have a pretty important part of this story. Any Real taped interview you can see with SBF in the past few years. The guy is shaking like a fucking I don't know what, like a like a a Hitachi. He's going. He's he is fucking. He is he is vibrating. Um, and like there's some some interviews where it's super motherfucking egregious. Like the guy looks like he's is, crazy. He's about to jump out of his skin. I am somebody who has injected a lot of methamphetamine almost every day for a year, about a year and a half, and mm. thankfully not any further than that i'm going to tell you some of the worst decisions in fact if you do any kind of amphetamine off almost all of the worst decisions of your life will be made on that drug and a lot of people are saying oh the stuff that he was on these patches or this a daffodil or whatever like you know it causes people to gamble no what it does is it causes you to be awake for a really long time 
not think that you have to sleep that much. And so you make increasingly poor decisions as you're, you slowly lose your mind and things escape you. And you can kind of only focus on the immediate present, the task that you were doing right there. And then you get locked into them. You and get locked into the game. You got locked into the game. And it's very clear that like Sam and all these other people like justified all the stuff that they were doing is because they thought they could, they thought they, they could pull this off. They thought that they would be able to sort of just like fake it till they made it. Like, okay, we're doing something criminal, but eventually it'll work itself out. And then maybe we'll give some money to charity or whatever. But like, we just need to like just get more money in here and we'll make, we'll get the one bigger bet that could, because that's the thing that, you know, to be clear, no one knows where their fucking money went. Yeah. It's very unclear how they lost all this money. Mm-hmm. People have tried doing some math, and there's some good accounts out there that have like put together some theories. We'll find out in the bankruptcy filings. Yeah, eventually if we will. they can get to any of that, which is very complicated. Yeah, they're already saying there's employees that were fake. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, they yeah they uh, there's so much wrong. Uh, yeah, but it's not. This isn't just you know a case of. Um, like, oopsies, some things went awry. Yeah. It's like years and years of very, very, very bad bets. And then trying to make even bigger bets to make up for the bad bets and the losses and the giant gaping, like, mawing hole at their balance sheet, right? Yeah, it's it's fucking extraordinary. And, like, it's crazy because now, you know, SBF has done some, like I said, a pair of, uh, you know, post- crash interviews one a very softball one for the new york times yes which was really Um, pathetic and then one with a woman that he's friends with who works at vox he and carolyn appear to be friends with where he says i mean it's just really it's it's conducted over twitter dm and vox yeah i don't think he knew that it was an interview throwing on tip here here is the biggest the literal actual this is literally if you don't look you don't know you haven't learned anything you're like who did 9-11 you don't know you don't pay attention to us whatsoever just pay attention just pay attention to this every single thing you say to a journalist especially if you say it's off the record is on the fucking it's all, record. It's all on the record. Journalists do not have to tell you, hey, I'm being a journalist now. So everything you say yeah, from like this point on is going to, to tell you. yeah. They do not have to tell you. And there are, ethics are fake. All of it's fake. I, we Believe me, all of it's fake. All of it's fake. All of it's fake. They will, and I don't even know if that's journalistic ethics. I don't know. But like, it's all fake. They Anything you say to a journalist, I know that you think like, well, maybe the things I say to a journalist won't. No, no. it will. No. It's all going in there. If it works, here's another tip though. If you actually do want somebody like to 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 get in an article, you got to say a really cool sentence, mm. and then they'll have like that. You know that they yeah, have and then to print they'll be like, "Wow, so my journalistic ass brain exactly knows that that is that's a cool like the hook. Sentence. Yeah, you got to give them a hook like in a pop song. Mm. That's if you want your message to get but across. Don't you don't want that message because you're not fucking talking to a journalist. So in this, he says, "Fuck regulators. They make everything worse." And then complains that they quote don't protect customers, which I'm like, mm. my brother, they're protecting customers. They're failing to protect customers. From you, yeah. you are the bad guy. Because this whole time, like, also, he's been running around trying to la- raise liquidity for fucking in that interim period yes. to raise liquidity. It's like, dude, why would anyone ever give you money? Like, you, you because my man thinks he can reset. He can't. There's no great reset coming. Here. No, but not even. I'm talking about like in game mode. He's like, oh, I can just start over. I yeah. get another life. 
Let's just keep at it. So the reporter also asked him about some statements from his past about ethics and accountability. And he basically says like, oh, yeah, I've said a lot of shit in the past. Like literally it says like, oh, it's not true really. And he also says, heh, a lot. That is <laughs> I H-E-H. hate that. Dude. Just say, just say ha. Yeah. So she asked, so the ethics stuff, mostly a front. People will like you if you win and hate you if you lose, and that's how it all really works. And he says, yeah. I mean, that's not, and then uh, asterisks next to it, all of it, but it's a lot. The worst quadrant is sketchy plus lose. The best is win plus three question marks. Clean plus lose is bad, but not terrible. So, like, this is how he sees life. It's like, all right, the worst thing to be is sketchy. Like, if everyone hates you and you also lost. The best thing to be is, like, you won and then, like, but also sketchy. Maybe it's okay. And then uh, the second worst thing to be is um, clean and lost. So, like, what he's saying here, like, you see, you see where this is going? Like, I don't know how to explain this right, but the way he's writing it basically it says, if you win, it does not matter what you did. If right. you were clean to get there or if you were nasty to get there. And in a way, he's right. Like if we're being like realist about it, that is the way the fucking world works. But like sometimes, that is, but that, that's not, not the always. way a man with a heart works. Yeah. And like it's just very obvious that like his ethics actually did inform basically every decision. Like the man is living his ethics here. Yeah. Absolutely. But he also complains, which I thought was a very funny little nod, about the, quote, dumb shibboleths that we woke Westerners have to say so that everybody likes us. The anti-woke turn that yeah. comes for everyone trying to rebrand. But he basically, he never takes any kind of responsibility. I mean, he still doesn't seem to really understand or be able to grapple with, like you're saying, he's like treating it like a video game. Like, well, this is all just like numbers on a screen. Totally. I mean, there's a whole thing where he says what his biggest single fuck up was, which is so crazy. He's yeah. like, I fucked up big multiple times. You know what my, maybe my single biggest fuck up, the one everyone told me to do, everything would be 70% fixed if I hadn't done it. And the gal is like, I'm trying to guess, but I have no idea. And then he says, chapter 11, AKA bankruptcy. But that's here. They filed for bankruptcy. Yep. And the filings came out, I think today, actually, um, they're, wow. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. I just want to read one quote because otherwise, I, this is the new CEO of FTX, John Ray, a decorated CEO, as you'll see. I had over 40 years of legal and restructuring experience. I have been the chief restructuring officer in several of the largest corporate failures in history. I have supervised situations involving allegations of criminal activity and malfeasance. And then in parentheses, he writes, Enron. So already we're off to a great start. Never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy information as occurred here. From compromised systems integrity and faulty regulatory oversight to the concentration of control in the hands of a very small group of inexperienced unsophisticated and potentially compromised interesting I know. individuals this situation is unprecedented now here's a true and untip you don't want 
the guy who restructured Enron, Enron saying that your situation is unprecedented. Yeah, you don't want that. Here's a true non-tip. You want your situation to be precedented. You always want to be precedented, honey. There's got to be a precedent you for got your it. situation. You don't, want, you don't want the Enron guy to be like, you know what? I'm, I'm breaking new ground here. Yeah. So there's some highlights here, just real quick. The, the, his hedge fund seemed to, I'm sorry, SBF's hedge fund apparently lent billions of dollars to just SPF. Classic move. Um, customer liabilities were never included on FTX financial statements. SPF has yet to provide a complete list of people who worked for FTX yeah. to the court. SPF controlled access to all digital assets within the FTX group, which is a little psycho. This is the big one, which is that Alameda had a secret exemption from FTX's auto liquidation protocols, which basically so like... Like we were saying, when someone's leveraged up, when their bet goes south, they get auto-liquidated. Um, this is one of the so-called features of crypto, right? Mm -hmm. Is that it's all in smart contracts. It's just like, oh, th that is bad. Yeah. Time to go. No one's like actually making margin calls. It's all automated, right? FTX built out exemptions for Alameda, so they never were liquidated. So insane. Um, which is pretty insane. FTX actually didn't have an accounting department. You'd want those at your financial firm, right? You'd think. Their auditor was actually located in the metaverse. Oh, I think... I'm not even kidding. Really? Yes, I've been this dating is a real. girl who lives there. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are basically zero records of how much money they owe and how much money they have. Two things that you really need when you're running a business. Um, the FTX staff is currently... This is a direct quote... Reviewing various third-party sources oh, in order like to locate investments that they need to recoup. So I think they're literally Googling... To what did we invest in? Who and what FTX invested in in order God, to figure out dude. who could possibly be a creditor in their bankruptcy. Um, it's a whole fucking disaster. And I'll say, yeah, there's a lot of real people that had their money lost. Um, there's an estimate of like about a million people who are potential creditors to the FTX bankruptcy. But the big thing is that there were a lot of institutional players, trading desks in the yep. crypto sphere. Yeah. And the kind of, um, you know, cascading effects and possible, like, you know, domino effects from this of other players falling, like we're already seeing, but it's also going to take some time as people basically sort out yeah. how much fucking money has just been like completely vanished into the I mean, yeah, we're gonna, there's going to be some dominoes that fall here, right? I mean, already like Bit, is it BitConnect? The, the fucking BlockFi. Yes. Not BitConnect. They're all named this bullshit. BlockFi, there seems to be rumblings at Genesis and that's pretty scary. But like literally by the time this episode comes out, it's going to be, be a more, billion more. And there's like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's impossible to say because everyone says there's no exposure. But that's the thing in the crypto space, true and on tip, they're always fucking lying. Yeah, everyone never exposed. believe them. It's it's all this talk about trustless that the, the the chain never lies. Every single person on that chain is lying. Yeah. So what did we learn from this, Liz? I mean, I didn't learn anything. <laughs> I've been knowing. I've been knowing too. We've baby. been on We've this. Been on the, We've been knowing. We've been. We've been knowing. knowing. And you know what? Fake. This is going to keep going, and we're going to keep talking about it. 
Um, there's so much more to say and so much more that's going to come out. And I have a lot of, I got a lot of shit to say about crypto. Yeah. Um, loans on crypto. I mean, there's, it's just like structurally, I'll just say this real quick. Like structurally underwriting loans on crypto is completely and totally absurd yeah. because they underwrite the asset and not the person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And when you do that, you're basically just, you're saying that it's quote unquote future value is completely and totally like inviolable. Right. Yeah. That's the same. And it's Maybe very we can viable. get into this in a, in a like future episode and we can fully explain it because we don't have time now, but I'll say that that is exactly the same way that the mortgage crisis was structured. Right. The idea that housing could never go down, but you underwrite loans to people because there's so many different things that can happen other than an asset's value. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many different pathways to a loan going sour. Right. So you underwrite borrowers. You don't underwrite assets. And that is the, I would say, structural flaw in the entire crypto ecosystem and what makes it a complete and total fucking fire would you would you call it a dumpster fire i would <laughs> i would i would you know what i would call it a dumpster fire i don't care i don't care if that's chuggy kuchugi yeah um and you know what we're gonna keep calling sam yeah you know what i actually i'm gonna call sam i'll be real i'm gonna call him an idiot we should just read out his number tomorrow night nah. no maybe not Let's keep it close to the chest. Let's keep for it now. close to the chest. Yeah, I don't want to repeat my Eddie Money situation. Actually, oh, good call. Yeah. Well, you know who might should be give doing it that to? on his. Email. We should give it to Longmont Potion Castle. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we've been recording. We got to get back on the road. We're going to Seattle. Oh yeah. And if you're still listening to this and you live in San Francisco and you were affected by the crypto downturn, let me tell you, there's something that you should. Oh my God! The last Trunon tip, the one that we have to say for every crypto episode what always keep your dollars and money always keep your dollars always and keep money. your money and money and you know what i'm gonna say this keep your money in dollars keep your money in dollars or other currency that can get traded very quickly into dollars. my funky no my, i am a full-on fiat maxi yeah i'm gonna say the penny the eternal the eternal token yeah always the penny quarter try you know what try playing for a fucking time crisis too <laughs> in a non uh walled garden arcade with a fucking Bitcoin, you can't. Try paying for it with a quarter, you can. Here's the thing, too. Money, it's always money. Always money. And you know what people take? What? Money. Cash. Keeping it in money. Also, if you if I do see you and you give me shit for being a cash guy, I'm going to fucking piss on your phone. And then, oh, you try paying Wait, for a pack of Marlboro. You know what you do after that? What? Put it in rice. Yeah. Well, you know what? Then you're fucking, then you still got to eat that rice afterwards. Got my pee-pee on it. Well, 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 we still have a show that has tickets for sale on uh, November 26th. We are still on tour. We're actually in Los Angeles recording this episode right now. Uh, in, of course, the famous hotel where that lady died. I watched that video so many times. Me too. I know. And it's I'm like, you know so what? weird. What do you think happened there? That chick was tripping. You think? Uh, she was tripping. How do you think she got in there? From the ghost. But she was oh, like yeah. tripping. She should have been chilling with the ghost. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, I don't know. But I'm definitely not watching a two-hour documentary on that. That's too long. That's too long. The video's like, already pretty give long. Give me a 15-minute I think the video's summary. like eight minutes. Yeah. That's long enough. I'm like, what? You know. All right. I'm Liz. My name is... I can't do the voice because my throat hurts. My yeah. name is Brace. We're, of course, joined by producer and, of course, fiduciary duty, um, Young Chomsky. 
The podcast is called... It's called True and None, mm. and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Jeffrey Epstein.